So we started a new series last week called Bottom Line, and we said, hey, at the end of the day, what God is trying to do in us is enable us, empower us to love as he loves, right? And so we said this, this is how we closed last week, that we wanted to make a commitment as a church, as individuals, as men, as women, families, neighbors, coworkers, to be a disciple, that's just another word for student, of Jesus in the area of love. Now, here's what I know about everybody here today, Christian, non-Christian, been in church, not been in church. Everybody has been discipled by someone or something about love. You've been discipled maybe by Hollywood and Hallmark. You've been discipled by your family of origin, and, you know, you had great parents. You had, you know, maybe parents that didn't love you. Some of you are victims of abuse. Some of you had a bad first marriage. So, so all of us, though, have been discipled in the area of love. That, when it, that means we, we have this understanding of what we think love is, what we think love is not, what we think love should be, what we think it could be. We've got pain because of attempts to find love. So all of us have been discipled in the area of love. And what we said last week is, hey, what if, what if, what if, what if? We just look to the God of love. We just look to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, would you teach me how to love like you love? And, and, and that, that was the standard that we put not only like in our families, in our marriages, in our close friendships, but that was the standard for people that maybe don't think like us, look like us, believe like us, act like us. Because Jesus even said to love your enemies, and he makes that the bottom line. And in fact, he says it this way, probably the most succinct passage where he talks about it. He says, I give you a new command. He says, love one another. And he says, just as I have loved you, not as you have been loved by your mom or your dad necessarily, not as you have been loved, you know, <clears throat> in your romantic view of love, but as I, Jesus, have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, I just want to stop for a second, and, and I, there, there's, a, there's an amazing thing going on, and, and then there's a thing that's going to cause us some problems, and we're going to unpack that. The, the first thing, and I'm just going to call it our great problem and our great calling, our great calling as a church, as the, as the people of God, our great calling is that God seeks to love people through his people. God seeks to love people through his people. That, that's, what he, that's the new command that he gave to us. So that means, listen, that means that when you go to work and it's the most toxic environment in the world, God has you there to put his love in play. That means when you go home from a long day and your teenage kid has disrespected your wife and you're tired and you just want to watch ESPN, you walk through that door to put love at play in that home in the name of Jesus and the way Jesus has loved. That, that goes for our neighborhoods. That, you got a Twitter account. You got a Facebook account. And, and, and you are there to somehow through that medium of communication to love people, to let God love people through you. That's an amazing calling that we get to represent the God of the heavens and earth, the God of the cross, the God of the empty tomb, that we get to represent him. Now, that's awesome, but at the same time, here's the great problem. People, <laughs> right? 
I'm hard to love sometimes. I didn't bring Beth this weekend for that very, no, I'm just kidding. But I'm hard to love. My kids are hard to love. Your coworkers are hard to love. Your neighbors are hard to love. The guy at work you wish would get transferred, definitely, he's hard to love. And still God calls us to love not the people that are easy to love, not the people that we, you know, we want to love, but God calls us to love people. And so we're just praying, Jesus, we want to be disciples of yours in this area of love. And we've landed at a passage that's familiar to most of us because we've probably heard it at a wedding or something, but it wasn't written for a married couple. It was written for a church to get better at loving the way Jesus had loved them. Just for review, we're going to read this. If you're just subscribing to our Time with God, where we shoot out about five Bible passages for you to spend time with God by being in His Word, you'll read this once a week, and we'll give you some reflection and questions on it. But let me just read it for you. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, and love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're just going to take a little bit of this and unpack it and so it can go as deep as we'll allow the Holy Spirit and, and the Spirit of truth and the grace of God to penetrate into our minds and into our souls. So this week, we're going to focus on this little phrase right here, love is kind. And, and here's how we might better say it, because what Paul does is he basically personifies love and he kind of makes it into a person or something that can, but it's really the actions of love that he's communicating. So we would say it this way, love shows kindness. Now, I say that, and most of us, because we've been told by our parents or we're trying to tell our kids, hey, be kind, be nice to people. So most of us are like, okay, Matt, great sermon. Let's close in prayer and get out of here, right? Let's pause for a second because I think it's just easy to say, oh, yeah, love shows kindness. Let's move on. But let's stop for a second and recognize a reality because we're living in that reality. Do you realize we live in a world that's very harsh, very mean, very rude? Just go watch somebody, just go read somebody's social media account. Just go listen to our politicians speak, right? Go, just go watch the nightly news. And, and you will see that the world is just sort of agitated at things and at people. The world is just sort of, is sort of frustrated. And, 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 you know, even, have you noticed this? We sort of celebrate it. We don't have, we celebrate what? Man, that person, man, he tells it like it is. Somebody you disagree with, when somebody puts them in their place, you're sort of like, yeah, right? Just admit it. We're in church. You're going to be truthful, right? I mean, we do that. So we really, if we're real transparent, we're real open before the Lord, open in front of God's Word, we really don't celebrate kindness. In fact, there's something in me and there's something in you that says, hey, sometimes being kind doesn't work. Sometimes being nice and polite and kind doesn't work. It doesn't work in this. It doesn't work in my job. It doesn't work in politics. In fact, I want a politician that's just nasty to the other side. That's not our calling, is it, though? And so maybe, maybe we need to work on kindness more than we think. Maybe we shouldn't read this as like a nice poem that takes us 30 seconds to get through and then move on. I mean, think about how we are with entertainment. 
a lot of entertainment, whether it's sports or watching The Voice on TV, a lot of that is we get upset at someone's ineptitude or silliness or can you believe they did that? Can you believe they sound like that? And, and part of the entertainment is the lack of kindness to another person, right? I mean, so, so this whole thing of kindness, it, it sounds good, but when we look at the world we live in, the reality we live in, it's hard. Some of you are like your daily commute, you always get behind the slow guy in the fast lane, and man, that's hard to be kind to that guy when you got to be there at a certain time. And, and, and so all around us, there's probably a lack of kindness, and we get kind of sucked up into that. And, and so the reality is this, and I'm just being open, and I want us to meet ourselves so the Holy Spirit can work on us. The reality is this. Love shows kindness. For most of us, it's until, until they push my buttons, until they cross some line. Love shows kindness until I'm in a mood. Love shows kindness until, man, they do that thing that just, eh, right? And, and so really for most of us, we've got some kind of limit on kindness, yeah, I can be kind when these conditions are met. I can be kind as long as you don't. I can be kind until you. And, 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 and what we do is we step back and say, I'm a kind person. And I, when I'm not kind, I've got a good, justifiable reason for it. And here's the question we all have to ask if we're disciples of Jesus rather than the world. Does Jesus understand and define kindness as love shows kindness until the line is crossed, the button is pushed? Let's go back to our passage. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrong. So I'm kind until you make me mad or irritate me. That doesn't hold water, does it, against God's word? I'm kind until you do me wrong, and then I'm going to be rude, and then I'm going to self-seek. I'm going to look after number one, and, and that's all okay, right? Not if we're disciples of Jesus. Not if we're students and submitted to the authority and the sufficiency of God's word. So here's what happens, church, and you see it in the church. You see it in the culture. You see it in the world. We can easily, easily make irritability, visible frustration that overflows, rudeness, anger, even rage. We can make them necessary, excusable, and even respectable sins. You ever thought about that? You may not even have called it sin. You may have just said, that's what I got to do to survive. That's what I have. That's just, they made me do it, right? And so it's easy to take those words that we just read in God's word and make them necessary. It's just how I got to operate, excusable. Well, if you knew what they said to me, sound like my kids, and even respectable sins. I mean, there's people that are in the public limelight that most of society respects and they're respected because they're not kind. They're harsh, they're condemning, and they're against. 
right? And, and so it sort of like it sort of goes like this: what they do or did. And here's how I feel. If I'm in this kind of mood or what they do or did, I don't have to be kind. And so, so I just want to put a question out there that we've got to, and just let ourselves sit underneath it. Is our understanding of love and kindness, is it love shows kindness, period? Love shows kindness, period. Meaning love just shows kindness and what it does. Not love shows kindness unless or love shows kindness until or is it, hey, love just shows kindness, period. And, and if I'm being honest with you, and you're probably being honest with me, or at least with the Holy Spirit, most of us, it's love shows kindness unless or until. But that's just, I just want us to admit something. That's not what the scriptures authoritatively say and teach for us. So what Scripture would say, if we had to come up with a working definition of kindness, Scripture would give us somewhat this definition, that kindness is an incredible countercultural. Nobody, most people in the culture is not practicing kindness this way. So it's incredible, countercultural, inexplicable, generous orientation of our hearts and our actions toward other people, even when they don't deserve it, don't reciprocate it, and or even when we don't feel like it. That is biblical kindness. That is love shows kindness. Anything, anything less than this is not love. This is why we're having to come to Jesus during this series and say, hey, Jesus, I need to be a student of your love. I need to be a disciple of your love. So, so why, why, why is it so hard? Let's just, let's just be honest here. Let's just kind of dig in. Why is it so hard to get this right? Why is it so hard to adopt the biblical definition of love, the biblical view, the biblical definition of kindness, what it is and how it shows up? And, and the reason is this, okay? We let the source, the fuel, if you will, for kindness be other people, and their behavior or beliefs. So if they are a jerk to me, I don't have to be kind to them. If they don't believe what I believe, I don't have to be kind to them, right? If they do something that pushes my button, their behavior, I don't have to be kind to them. And so our kindness is a reflex or a reaction or a response to something else like that someone does or something else that someone, how someone else behaves, how someone acts. And, and that's what we do. And that's why we get in this cycle of negativity. That's why we get in this cycle of, of negative stuff on social media. That's why we get in this cycle in our marriage, in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, where we're known for being anything but kind. Tertullian is, was a, a, a guy in the early part of Christianity, like first 300 years. And you know Christians? There was a name for Christians. Like the Romans had all these different names for Christians. Some of them were very derogatory. One of the names for Christians was not Christian. It was this, the kind ones. I want you to think about that. So our forefathers in the faith, one of their names, by a pagan culture, 
by a culture that was anything but kind, at a culture that tried to persecute Christians in some segments and some regions of the Roman Empire, they called Christians the kind ones. Now, I just want to ask anybody, if we, took, if we brought 100 people in here who were not Christians, and we said, hey, if you had to describe Christians, how many of them would say they're kind people? Now, now, I'm talking to the saved people, the rock bridgers. That's got to bother us a little bit, right? That we're misrepresenting Jesus. And our politics don't give us an excuse for it. And our social media behavior culture doesn't give us an excuse for it. And the jerk at work doesn't give us an excuse for it. Just got to own that. And, and, and so what I'm praying for myself for us, is that there's a spirit of repentance that might come upon us and that we would say, okay, God, we need your help. Because, again, if we go back to our definition, it's inexplicable. That means I can't explain it, so I need God's help to get me here. I need God's help to get me here. And so here's what we got to first realize. Kindness, yes, is a response, is a reaction, is a reflex, but it's not to what other people are doing, how other people are behaving, and what other people are believing. It's not that. So kindness that we're to give to the world, that we're to give to our kids, our families, our coworkers, the kindness that we're to give is a reflex response and reaction, but it's not to people. Who's it a response to? Let's unpack it. We go to Titus. When God our Savior revealed his kindness, God's kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So he saved us not because he was kind to us, not because we were behaving in a way that warranted kindness. He saved us not because we were believing the right things about God, about life, about whatever. He saved us because he's just kind. God's not kind unless he's just kind, right? He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously, generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight. Love that phrase. He made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we'll inherit eternal life. And where did all that come from? And what was all that a demonstration of? God's kindness. God's kindness. We go to Romans 2, okay? And here's what Romans 2 teaches us. And the more I walk with Jesus, the more I'm convinced of this, okay? You, you know, a lot of times we're, what Christians try to scare the hell out of people, right? And preachers get up here and let's preach hell, fire, and brimstone. Let's scare the hell out of people, right? I want you to notice this, okay? God does not bring us to repentance by wagging us, by, by waving hell in front of us. He doesn't bring us to repentance at gunpoint. Here's how he brings us to repentance. Repentance when we change our mind about sin and agree with God. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint, and his patience? Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's the love of God that shows kindness that brings about the born again, I want to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom experience. It's not wagging the finger, pointing the gun, 
and holding us on the edge of the cliffs of hell is kindness. So you take those two passages and then you look at how God, through Paul, starts to instruct people in the church to act. There's this famous, incredible passage in 2 Timothy, and Paul's talking to a church leader, and he says, look, and inside this church there were people who weren't acting right, who weren't behaving right, who weren't believing right. And what do you think Paul says to them? Man, get on social media and go on a tirade. What do you think Paul says to them? Get your finger in their face and wag it and shame them and condemn them and yell at them. Here's what he says. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. You know that loophole you and I just have for, hey, I don't have to be kind to everyone. That loophole just got closed by the Word of God. So he says, be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Gentleness. And then what might God do? When, when God's people do this, then what might God do? Then God might perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge of the truth or leading to salvation. So we as representative of God, remember what I said our great calling was? Our great calling is to love people as we have been loved. And God uses us when we love people as we've been loved and we've been loved. We've seen it by, with a kindness from the God of our God, our Savior. Then God also uses that to help evangelize people and bring more people into the family of God. It's our great calling. So it's, we can say it this way, knowing the kindness of God enables us to start showing the kindness of God or to love people as we have been loved. So knowing the kindness of God and what we call the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus to reconcile lost people, to reconcile sinners, to back into a right relationship with God, knowing that kindness enables us to start showing the kindness of God. So, so here, here's the question, right? Here's the question. How do we know the kindness of God more than we know the frustrations and irritations of others? That make us any, that one, and we're, that we've already said, it's hard to be kind when others frustrate us and irritate us. And what happens in our minds and our souls and our lives is what we forget about the kindness of God or we put it on the back burner of the back shelf. We'll bring that out on Sunday. We'll bring that out at church. But, it, but in the work week, what we know more, in the day-to-day -day grind, what we know more is, man, people are frustrating, people are irritating, and I don't have to be kind to them. So how do we know the kindness of God more than the frustrations and irritations of others, our spouse, our kiddos, our crazy uncles, right? The folks in our job, how do we do that? And so here's what disciples learn to do, disciples of Jesus. Disciples look to Christ, his life and his gospel until they are ready to show kindness to everyone. I need us to zero in on that, right? Disciples of Jesus, students of God, right? They look to Christ when the kindness of God our Savior appeared. It's his kindness that led us to repentance. We look to Christ until his kindness can overflow and we can give that to other people. So let me, let me see how, show you how this kind of works, okay? I want you right now to think of somebody 
or think of some situation where it's awfully hard for you to be kind. Just write that down if you want to, unless you don't want someone to see it, right? Think about it. Some person, a group of people, where it's just kindness is just not your first response to them. A situation, family dynamic, work situation, where you and kindness are just polar opposites. So everybody's got that in your mind, okay? So here's what can end up happening in a message like this, and I don't want this to happen, okay, because it'll produce false guilt, it'll produce despair, produce all kinds of things that are not gospel, that are not of God, okay? So I want you to think about the person or the situation where kindness is hard. So if you're, if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll, you'll be like, man, what am I going to do about them when they... What am I going to do, you know, at work when it's all stressful and it's just so hard to be kind to anybody when I'm stressed because I've got a deadline on Thursday afternoon? And you, and you look at it that way. Like, I don't know how to be kind to that kind of person. I don't know how to be kind to that kind of situation. And your question is, what am I going to do about how am I going to respond when those things happen? Here's the better question. Here's the better question, okay? Rather than that be the question, the question should be this. How am I going to get so focused on Jesus Christ, so reminded of his kindness to me, that I respond with kindness to everyone? That's the question. It's not, God, what am I going to do when they? Because they just push my buttons. You're just giving them control of you. The Spirit of God needs to have control of you and of me. So the question is, how do I get so focused on Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his kindness to me that I did not deserve, that I could not earn, that I then want just as a response to Christ, as a response to the gospel, I'm kind to everyone. That before I react, respond, hit enter, hit send, hit post, that before I do that, I, I am focused on, and I'm focused on Christ. Instead of rehearsing, because here's what you do, whether you do it in five seconds or five days, we rehearse, don't we? What do we rehearse? The button they pushed, the frustration they caused, the irritation they brought. That's what you rehearse in your mind. What if instead of rehearsing what they did, you rehearse what Jesus has done? Then you know what starts to come out of us more and more. We're not going to bat a thousand, but you know what comes out of us more and more? Marriages, homes, jobs, sports, everywhere. The kindness of God. Because love shows kindness, period. Not until and not unless. So, to close our message and, 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 and really put a, just an exclamation point on our service here this weekend, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. If you're at home, you can find something comparable. If you're here in, in, in one of our venues, you can take this out if you got it when you walked in. If you don't have one, you know, some ushers might, might be able to get you one if you slip your hand up. But, let, but before, we, before we just grab stuff and go, I want us to cause, I want us to really focus for just a minute, okay? Because this bread and this cup represent something. They represent what we've just been talking about, what Jesus has done. They represent the kindness of God that showed up in a human body that showed up in actual factual history. It represents the kindness of God that went to the cross 
Because it should have been me paying for my penalty on the cross, right? It should have been me taking the crown of thorns, the nails in the wrist, the nails in the ankles. It should have been me bleeding out, dying there. But God didn't put me there. He put himself there. He put his son there. And the scripture says the reason he did it, because of kindness. Because of kindness. Undeserved often unreciprocated by me to my Savior kindness. And so that needs to nurture us and feed us and bless us this weekend. That, that, that kindness needs to be renewed in us. That, that maybe you just look at this as a, as a religious box to check and something church people do. Maybe when I say Jesus died for you and instead of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I heard that when I was 10 years old. Give me something else, preacher. Don't rush past the cross. Don't graduate from the gospel. Never get over being amazed by what Jesus has done. So as we look at this, let's remember. As we look at the cross, look at the cup, look at the bread, let's remind ourselves of what he's done. And some of you, you're going to need to come to the God before you take the Lord's Supper, and you're going to need to confess some sins. You need to confess some sins. I know I do. And so you allow God to search you before you take the bread and the cup, and you just go to God, and you don't run from him. You run to him, to the cross, and God will forgive you, and he'll cleanse you, and he'll help you with your repentance, your new walk. Some of you recognize, as I've been talking, you're not yet a Christian. This, what we're about to do is not for non-Christians. It's, it's only for people who have fully given Jesus the steering wheel of their lives, the sins of their soul, and said, I want to be your disciple and follow you forever. Not follow you perfectly, but follow you consistently, progressively, in increasingly. And last time we did the Lord's Supper last month, we had someone in one of our campuses, and they were sitting here, and they recognized, you know what, I'm not yet a Christian. So after the service, they walked out, found the campus pastor, and gave their life to Jesus that day. Some of you, that may be your next step. And then you come back, and you take, the, you take your first ever Lord's Supper as a born-again person because the kindness of God grips your soul, and it'll never let you go, and you're committed to following that God of kindness. So here we are, remembering Christ, standing in awe of his kindness as we recall that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he gave thanks and he took bread and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took also the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So church, I'm going to pray. You can remain seated and you can remain in a posture of prayer. And whenever you're ready, you take the Lord's Supper. Your worship leaders will guide us through some more worship and singing. And what I would encourage all of us to do is stay in this moment. Stay connected to the kindness of God. Allow the renewal of remembering the gospel, that renewal to do its work in your soul. And then 
take it one more step. Remember that person I told you to think about or that situation I told you to think about where showing kindness is hard? Bring that person, bring that situation with you to the cross. Let's be disciples of Jesus and how he's loved us. We pray together. God, have your way in every person at home, in Spanish, in our six locations. We stand in awe, Jesus, of what you've done. We marvel at your kindness. We are amazed that it was you there instead of us, and we thank you for that. And we're asking for your help, Jesus. We're asking for your spirit in us, Jesus, to awaken us again to the awesomeness of the gospel, the amazing reality that you died for us and you died instead of us, and you put your spirit in us so we can love others as you have loved us. God, we want to say yes to that again and again. We want to renew ourselves in that fresh this weekend. And we want to commit ourselves to our calling to love as we've been loved. So Jesus, have your way in us as we obey you this weekend by remembering your, your death, by taking the Lord's Supper. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now let us take the body and blood of Christ as you're ready and as our worship leaders continue to lead us.